Section six of Criminal Investigation Volume one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joseph Tabler. Criminal Investigation A Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers, and Lawyers. Volume one by Hans Gross. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Chapter one continued. Section five. Certain qualities essential to an investigating officer. It goes almost without saying that an investigating officer should be endowed with all those qualities which every man would desire to possess. Indefatigable zeal and application, self-denial and perseverance, swiftness to read men and a thorough knowledge of human nature, education and an agreeable manner, an iron constitution, and encyclopedic knowledge. Still, there are some special qualities whose importance is frequently overlooked, to which attention may be peculiarly and forcibly directed. First and above all, an investigating officer must possess an abundant store of energy. Nothing is more deplorable than a crawling, lazy, and sleepy investigating officer. Such a man is more fit to be a gentleman at large than an investigating officer. He who recognizes that he is wanting in energy can but turn to another branch of the legal profession, for he will never make a good investigator. Again, the investigating officer must be energetic, not only in special circumstances, as when, for example, he finds himself face to face with an accused person who is hot-headed, refractory, and aggressive, or when the work takes him away from the office and he proceeds to record a deposition or make an arrest without having his staff or office bell to aid him. But energy must always be displayed when he tackles a difficult, complicated, or obscure case. It is truly painful to examine a report which shows that the investigating officer has only fallen to his work with timidity, hesitation, and nervousness, just touching it, so to speak, with the tips of his fingers. But there is satisfaction in observing that a case has been attacked energetically and grasped with animation and vigor. The want of special cleverness and long practice can often be compensated by getting a good grip of the case but want of energy can be compensated by nothing. Those incomparable words of Goethe, true for all men, are above all true for the criminal expert. Strike not thoughtlessly a nest of wasps, but if you strike, strike hard. The investigating officer must have a high grade of real self-denying power. It is not enough that he is a clever reckoner, a fine speculator, a careful weigher of facts, and possesses a good business head, he must be self-denying, unostentatious, and perfectly honest, resigning at the outset all thoughts of magnificent public successes. The happy-go-lucky apprehension of the policeman, the effective summing up of the judge, the clever conduct of the case by a counsel, all meet with acknowledgment, astonishment, and admiration from the public but such triumphs are not for the investigating officer. 
if the latter be working well those few people who have had an opportunity of really studying the case as it goes along will discover his unceasing and untiring work from the documents on the record and will form some correct idea of the brain work power of combination and extensive knowledge which the investigating officer has employed the investigating officer will be held responsible for the smallest and most pardonable mistake while his care and his merits are seldom acknowledged let him be conscious of having done his duty in the only possible way beyond this we can only say virtue is its own reward another quality demanded at any price from the investigating officer is absolute accuracy we do not mean by this that he must set out details in the official records exactly as they have been seen or said for it goes without saying that this will be so done the quality indicated consists in not being content with mere evidence of third parties or hearing when it is possible for him to ascertain the truth with his own eyes or by more minute investigation this is to say no more than that the investigating officer should be accurate in his work in the sense of being exact as that word is used in its highest scientific signification indeed the high degree of perfection to which all sciences have to-day attained is entirely due to exact work and if we compare a recent scientific work whatever the subject with an analogous book written some decades ago we will notice a great difference between them arising almost wholly from the fact that the work of to-day is more exact than that of yesterday naturally in all inquiries a certain amount of imagination is necessary but a comparison between two scientists of our time will always be to the advantage of the one whose work is most exact the brilliant and fruitful ideas of the scientist which astonish the world being often far from sudden and happy inspirations but the outcome of exact research in close observation of facts in searching for their remotest causes in making unwearied comparisons in instituting disagreeable experiments in short in attempting to elucidate a problem the investigating officer will observe it under so many aspects and passing through so many phases that new ideas will spontaneously come to him which if found to be accurate and skillfully utilized will certainly give positive results since exactness or accuracy of work is of so much importance in all branches of research this accuracy must also be applied to the work of the investigating officer but what is to be understood by accurate work it consists in not trusting to others but attending to the business oneself and even in mistrusting oneself and going through the case again and again by so proceeding one will certainly bring about an accurate piece of work a thousand mistakes of every description would be avoided if people did not base their conclusions upon premises furnished by others take as established fact what is only possibility or as a constantly recurring incident what has only been observed but once true it is that in his work the investigating officer can see but a trifling portion of the facts nor can he repeat his observations he is obliged largely to trust to what others tell him and it is just here that the difficulty and insufficiency of his work lie but this inconvenience can to a certain extent be remedied 
on the one hand by wherever possible making sure of things for himself instead of accepting what others tell him and on the other hand by trying to give a more exact form to the statements of others by comparison experiment and demonstration for the purpose of testing the veracity of the deponent's observation and obtaining from him something exact or at least more exact than before in endeavoring to verify the facts for himself the investigating officer must personally examine localities make measurements and comparisons and so form his own opinion if a small matter which can only be established by accurate observation is in question data furnished incidentally must not be relied upon but only ascertained facts and investigations specially carried out in an important case the circumstantial evidence had been brought together and conclusions thereby suggested drawn results which might have been of decisive importance in clearing up the case at the last moment it came into the head of some outsider to ask if the distance between two points was really two thousand paces that was one of the grounds of the argument so artistically built up in fact two witnesses had declared the distance to be two thousand paces it was decided to send a policeman to visit the ground and when the distance was found to be only four hundred and fifty paces the new conclusions rendered necessary contradicted the former ones this is a typical example among hundreds of similar instances it is much more difficult to point out how depositions can be rendered more exact when they cannot be verified by actual inspection de visu let it be granted that the witness is really desirous of speaking the truth and is merely a bad observer in general the matter should be elucidated by experiment by ocular demonstration suppose a witness affirms that he was beaten by h for ten minutes let a watch be placed before him and ask him to take good note of how long ten minutes lasts and then say whether it was really ten minutes after a quarter of a minute he will exclaim it certainly did not last longer than that again a witness asserts that he is perfectly certain that he heard a cry coming from below but trials on the spot prove that he never can guess correctly whether a cry comes from right or left above or below again a witness says that though he did not look very closely h held at least r's twelve in his hand that he can swear to very well he is asked how many coins have i at present in my hand also about twelve he answers but there are twenty-three again a witness declares when once i see a man i always recognize him again did you see the prisoner who was being taken out as you came in you ask him certainly i saw him very well he answers all right go and pick him out from ten other persons a witness estimates an important distance at let us say two hundred yards let him be brought out of doors and say how far might be one hundred two hundred three hundred four hundred yards if now these distances be measured one can easily judge if and with what degree of accuracy the witness can judge distances as this judging of distances is often necessary it becomes important to measure beforehand from a convenient window certain visible fixed points and to note the distances for future examinations for years the author had many occasions for doing so from his office room window and knew for instance to the left corner of the house sixty-five yards to the poplar tree one twenty to the church spire two ten 
to the small house four hundred to the railway nine fifty by these distances he has often tested witnesses if the witness proves fairly accurate in his estimates his evidence may be considered important for the case under investigation one can even rectify wrong estimates if for instance we find out that the witness is accustomed to estimate always too high or too low we can correct them by a species of personal equation such checks give the most instructive and remarkable results whoever practices them will soon be convinced that their importance cannot be exaggerated if accuracy of work is necessary in even the most insignificant cases it becomes in the highest degree important in serious cases where increased working material must be laid out for the future and a base of operations established here often the most incomprehensible things happen while perusing the papers connected with grave cases one often remarks that the base of operations once established the work has been carried on with the greatest care and accuracy and much sagacity has been expended but all this has been a dead loss for in establishing the base of operations an accessory circumstance of seeming insignificance has not been accurately observed or estimated a false premise has been included and the whole of the stately fabric built up so laboriously reposes on a tottering and yielding foundation two cases will be described giving a clear idea of what has been said in the first interesting for more than one consideration the singular fact came to light that the investigating officer actually stood for a long time above the corpse of the murdered man without being able to find him a blood-stained coat was found on the bank of a river in a fairly large town about the same time a man named j s who lived not far from this place disappeared on inquiries being made the coat was discovered to be that of j s the latter could not be traced fifteen days later an old saw-setter turned up and declared that one morning just after the disappearance he had noticed traces of blood at a certain spot near the river in question but not on the bank where the coat had been found the saw-setter could not read and was very deaf so that he had not heard till some time afterwards about the disappearance of j s and of his probable murder the place where the traces of blood were found was beside a bridge and at that point the river was banked up to a considerable depth and bordered by a very high wall behind this wall the snow gathered from the streets of the town was usually thrown after every snowfall great masses of snow were thrown over at this place and as in winter the river hardly ever came up to the foot of the wall a bank of snow twelve feet long and twelve feet deep often became heaped up and did not melt till late in the spring from the blood discovered by the saw-setter which had long since disappeared it was supposed that the dead man had been thrown over the spikes that crowned the wall on to the bank of snow below and that he had been immediately buried beneath the sweepings of a heavy snowfall that had taken place on the night of his disappearance and which had been collected and thrown over in the early morning this took place on the fifteenth december it had snowed again on the twentieth and twenty-seventh december and on each occasion fresh quantities of snow had been thrown on to the bank in question but during that winter no snowfall was so heavy as the first the investigators began to shovel these masses of snow into the river 
for the purpose of finding the corpse of the murdered man representatives of justice were present in order to draw up reports in the event of a discovery being made now the investigating officer desired to know whether the first snowfall had really taken place on the fifteenth december that is to say on the night of the disappearance of j s he himself having no exact recollection on the point he was informed that the fifteenth december was the date of the second snowfall which was not nearly such a heavy one as the first so that the body ought to be found resting on a bed of snow of a considerable depth formed by the first very abundant snowfall it was added that on the fifteenth this bed must have been six to eight feet in height it was then decided to dig until they had arrived approximately at the first bed of snow where the murdered man ought to be found they dug and shoveled away the snow and when what remained was no more than four feet in depth and it was certain that they had long before reached the first bed the work was abandoned but the saw-setter though old and deaf was not mistaken for when the late spring had melted away the snow the corpse of the murdered man was found quite at the bottom on the ground bordering the river and at the very spot over which the investigating officer had stood for hours when the snow was being shoveled away the explanation was simply that the people questioned by the investigating officer concerning the date of the first snowfall were mistaken the fall of the fifteenth december was not the second but the first of that winter the corpse had been thrown over the wall when as yet no snow had been deposited beneath it and it was therefore necessary to search below and not above the first bed if the investigating officer had been more accurately informed about the date of the first fall he would have removed that bed as well and the corpse would have been found but much time had run on and to this day the author of the crime is unknown the second case also relates to a murder and points out how inexact indications furnished by a large number of witnesses might have turned suspicion from the real criminals and let it fall upon an entirely innocent person two peasants of evil reputation and involved circumstances asp and b had induced a third peasant t an old man to accompany them to a cattle market some considerable distance away for the purpose of purchasing cattle they left their common residence at s together in the early morning and walked as far as l where they rested during the middle of the day at three o'clock they set out again with the object of going by way of v to d there to pass the night so as to arrive the morning after at m the place where the market was to be held only a league distant the next day t was found stretched in the ditch beside the road between the places l and v but nearer to v he was badly wounded in the nape of the neck and was unconscious in the course of the following day he came to himself and declared that all three had as we have said left l after their midday meal just as the hour of three was striking on the church clock and had continued on their way after having walked for about an hour s and b all at once asked whether the market would not be forbidden owing to cattle plague and said that information about it would have to be obtained in a village some distance from the road but t had declared that there was nothing to support their idea and besides that the information could be obtained at any inn along the road those on the road he had added were better informed than those away from it 
and it was useless to further lengthen their already long journey by making a detour by that village but esp and b were so obstinate about it that t supposed that they had something to do there which they wished to hide from him probably the purchase of a beast which they did not want him to know about and so he had told them to go to the village while he would slowly continue on his way until his two companions should rejoin him on the road after their detour but the two were away a long time and he sat down to await them on a milestone turning his back to the road for the wind was violent and raised up a great dust all at once he received a tremendous blow from behind on the head and he remembered nothing more the money set aside for the purchase of the cattle had disappeared some days later t died of his wounds without the possibility of again questioning him s and b declared in a way that certainly bore out each other's statement that they had really been to the village for no other purpose than to obtain information regarding the market that they had even at an inn questioned two wayfarers about it and that they had then started to rejoin t but had not found him on the road and had seen nothing of him lying in the ditch they had then come to the conclusion that he had gone on to v or d but as they had not found him they had proceeded to the market at m they had not heard speak of a man having been half killed until they were on their way back they had even been invited to go and see him at the house of a peasant because he had been identified by no one they had then recognized their comrade t that they had not seen him when he was already doubtless wounded and stretched in the ditch beside the road was explained by the fact that when they passed the scene of the crime it was already night being in the last days of autumn preliminary inquiries pointed to the fact that esp and b had the intention of attacking t at nightfall and of killing him and stealing his money in order to plan at their ease the details of the attack they had made the pretext of going to the village to ask for information concerning the market for they very well knew that t who was the worst walker of the three would not agree to the detour they could not possibly know that t would sit down on the stone and turn his back to them but they would probably have chosen for the place of the crime a forest to be passed through after dark but having seen him in a position so favorable to their scheme and the road being at that part very deserted and quiet they had immediately seized the opportunity of striking him down from behind and plundering him there was but one circumstance in favor of the accused namely that the story as told by them was not improbable a stranger might have killed t and plundered him and the two men would have been unable to see him in passing because it was already dark in fact many of the country people were questioned and unanimously stated that at that time of the year if one left l at three o'clock and made the detour by the village in question one could not at the slow pace of persons fatigued as the three men in question then were arrive at the scene of the crime before it was quite dark that the departure from l took place at three precisely was spoken to not only by the two accused but also by many other persons with whom they had kept company at the inn one of the former had even remarked there goes three o'clock we must be off as we have still a long way to go in spite of this weak point in the prosecution esp and b were found guilty at the beginning of spring the accused demanded a revision of the case they succeeded in effect in to some extent 
shaking the case for the prosecution they fastened suspicion on a young man of bad character who used to roam about in the neighborhood of the scene of the crime and as the point in favor of the accused already indicated namely whether they could have seen t lying wounded in the ditch always preserved its importance they proceeded to arrest the young man and revise the case against esp and b at this juncture the investigating officer took it into his head to investigate the incident on his own account it was naturally impossible to await the end of autumn which was the time of year at which the crime was committed so he asked two astronomers to indicate that day in spring which as regards light sunset etc would most closely correspond with the day in autumn on which the crime took place he then repaired to the scene on the given day accompanied by a magistrate they left l at three o'clock precisely walking slowly as esp b and t were supposed to have walked they made a detour by the village and remained there as long as esp and b said they had remained in order to give the accused the benefit of all the circumstances in their favor when they arrived on the scene it was still broad daylight they then made every imaginable trial they lay down by turns in the ditch on the side of the road where t had fallen from the milestone on receiving the blow and where he had been found on the following day they then alternately went back along the road turned round and advanced and came to the conclusion that from no matter what side of the road and even at a considerable distance one could not miss seeing that a man was lying in the ditch and no one could possibly pass without perceiving him only after lengthy experiments did night fall it was thus settled that the statements of all the witnesses rested on false suppositions and the only circumstance which had shown in favor of the accused did not after exact verification exist at all a number of analogous examples could be cited every investigating officer has come across them during his career just because they are so frequent they cannot be too strongly insisted upon the decisive importance of having the base of operations very firmly established cannot be too frequently pointed out besides as has been indicated it is mankind's nature to cling to points of support which have but little solidity one hears of a circumstance often but incidentally referred to by a witness and is easily disposed on its verification to base an argument upon it perhaps this argument is not without merit and giving satisfaction another and yet another argument is made to cling to it the case grows interesting and a successful result is in sight all the points thus gathered together are most minutely and carefully gone into but meanwhile the re-verification of the primary fact on which the whole structure is based has been neglected carried away by zeal and the desire to bring the case to some conclusion the investigating officer has proceeded too fast and without the calm and prudence requisite to such inquiries and so all his work has been in vain there is but one way to avoid this to proceed steadily be it at a walk at a trot or at the charge but in such inquiries a halt must from time to time be made and instead of going forward he must look back he will then examine one by one the different points of the inquiry taking them up in order from the beginning he will analyze each acquired result even to the smallest factor 
of those apparently of the least importance and when this analysis is carried to its furthest limits will carefully verify each of these factors from the point of view of its source genuineness and corroboration if the accuracy of these elements be established they may then be carefully placed one with another and the result obtained examined as if viewed for the first time the case will then generally assume quite another complexion for at the outset the sequence was not so well known and if it has a different aspect from at first each time the matter is so revised the question has to be asked whether it is in proper adjustment with the whole argument which has been formulated and whether there is any mistake to rectify if the whole result is defective the investigating officer must have sufficient self-denial to confess my calculation is false i must begin all over again end of section six